Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Last four weeks, we've been on a series called Keep Your Heart. And it's been based out of Proverbs 4.23, which says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. How many of you know that your heart kind of acts like a filter for how you perceive the world? Your heart actually kind of filters everything. It's, it's the thing that you process information through. And, and by the way, when I say heart, I'm not talking about the physical organ. You all understand that, right? I'm talking about our, our emotions, our, the thing God gave us, our spirits, right? And so out of our, our heart works as a filter. So, so if there's something in our filter that is corrupting our hearts, how many of you know that if it's corrupting our hearts, it's going to corrupt the way we view and see the world? It's going to corrupt the way that we handle situations or we hear words spoken to us. We're going to hear it and we're going to see it through the filter of our heart. And we're going to see it through the filter of whatever it is that is clogging up that filter. So, for instance, we've talked about envy. The first two weeks we talked about envy and how envy is that sneaky little thing that hides in the dark places of our hearts, right? That corrupts our, the way we see things and it, allow, it doesn't allow us to be able to celebrate other people's achievements. My favorite definition of envy is the pain we feel over another person's success. And it doesn't allow us to celebrate other people, but it makes us want more for ourselves. And it places us in competition with our brothers instead of being able to love and celebrate the victories that other people have. So envy can corrupt our hearts. The other thing we talked about the last two weeks has been unforgiveness. And how in unforgiveness, it really just does a lot of damage to our lives and it doesn't allow us to connect with people and and it allows the wounds that were dealt us to remain open. As as uh, As we keep meditating and as we keep thinking and running the story and what happened through our minds over and over again, it actually just keeps the wound fresh and it doesn't allow us to heal. So then when we view through the uh, view things through the lens of unforgiveness, then we're not able to trust people. We're not able to see people properly. We're always on guard because we are always protecting the wound. The center of our lives becomes numbing the pain we feel from the wound. And so we see things through that lens. Today, I want to talk to you about another issue of the heart. This issue of the heart C.S. Lewis says is the, let me see, let me quote him exactly. C.S. Lewis says is the essential vice. He says it's the utmost evil. In fact, in his book, Mere Christianity, he writes a whole chapter on this issue of the heart called the great sin. This issue of the heart is actually why the devil is the devil. It's the root of who he is. The issue we're going to talk about today is pride. Pride. The issue of the heart we're going to talk about today is pride. Now, I want to be clear up front. There are two different kinds of pride. All right. There's a good pride. 
and there's a bad pride. All right, so good pride is outward focused. Good pride, you know, I, I tell my kids almost every day that I'm proud of them, right? I'm proud of you. Good pride is, is, is again, outward focus. It's, it's even Jesus, even the Father. With Jesus, when he was baptized, Jesus comes out of the water. What does the Father say? He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God is beaming with pride for Jesus, right? It's why, why Jesus, when Stephen, the first martyr, was being stoned, and it says that Stephen was, was under the anointing, he says he looks up into heaven. He says he sees the sky split apart. And what does he see? He sees Jesus not sitting on his throne, but he sees Jesus standing in front of his throne to welcome Stephen, the first martyr, into the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus was proud of Stephen, right? So pride, there is a good pride. It's, it's also a good pride um, where even the saints, as they have finished running their race, when they pass away, they hear from God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So there is a good type of pride. This is not the pride we're talking about this morning. The pride we're talking about this morning is the bad kind of pride. And it's the kind of pride that here in the Bible, Jesus, or the Bible calls, I'm sorry. This pride that we're talking about today is the kind of pride that Proverbs 16, 5 says, the Lord detests. This pride is the bad kind of pride. So the biggest difference between good pride and bad pride the pride that is condemned throughout scripture is that good pride is elevating others while the bad kind of pride is about elevating self. The word for pride in scripture means exaltation, presumption, arrogance, lofty, and high. At its core, pride is exalting self above the goodness of God. Pride falls into the same category as idolatry. Only the idol we worship is not something we've carved with our hands. The idol we worship is ourselves. It's self-idolatry. There are several words in the Bible for worship. Basically, the word worship means to lay prostrate before, to give glory to in adoration. So what is it saying then? So it's saying, then we bow before our own wills and our own desires. Pride is laying prostrate before our own issues and our own dreams. That we glory not in the goodness of God, but in our own egos. We glory not in the sufferings of Christ, but in our own sufferings. Pride is elevating self. In pride, Jesus gets displaced from the throne that sits on the center of our lives. And in its place, we put self there. So pride is elevating self. Since pride is exalting self, it can sometimes look different than how we normally view pride. Most of us, when we think of pride, we think of somebody who is arrogant, right? Who thinks they are everything and a bag of Doritos. Yeah, their, their chest is puffed out and they know everything. There was, this, there was this guy in Alabama 
that ended up becoming one of our good friends. But when we first met this guy, have you ever met one of those people that just knows everything? They know everything, right? You know, you're, you can be talking about any subject and they, and they are the expert. And it's like nobody is that good at everything, right? And so we met this guy and I used to think, man, this guy is so arrogant and prideful. Like literally everything we talk about, the man knows. Little did I know that as we got to know him, the dude really did know everything. <laughs> I mean, he knew everything. You know, he helped us do construction. He knew everything about construction. He knew everything about music. He knew, <laughs> it was amazing. But you know what I'm saying? We usually tend to view pride as somebody who's arrogant, who is, who's puffed up, who can do no wrong, and they think they're just everything. But actually, if pride is elevating self, pride can mean exactly the opposite. Sure, pride is somebody who's puffed up and, and arrogant and those sorts of things. Absolutely, that is pride. But pride can also be wallowing in your own self-pity. Pride can look like false humility where you cannot take honor from anybody because you're not worthy enough. Where even though Jesus has offered freely forgiveness, you refuse the forgiveness because you're just not worthy and you're just going to wallow in your own self-pity. Right? So, so pride can look completely different, but have the same root issue, right? It's promoting self above the goodness of God. So what, can, what are some examples of what pride can look like in everyday life? Pride can look like self-loathing when your father is offering you forgiveness. Pride can look like a dad overreacting to his kids' mistakes, because he believes it's a poor reflection on his own image. How many of you have ever seen that before? I think the easiest example is a, is a sports dad, right? Right? Like they're, they're pushing their kid out there to be the very best and their kid messes up in a game or strikes out at bat and you see them afterwards and the dad is just laying into them right? Because they messed up. Why is he doing that? He's not doing that because he wants his son to have glory. He's wanting him. He's doing that because it's a bad reflection on himself. It's selfish. He's promoting self. I want to tell those dads, listen, he has your genes. He's probably not going to be that good. <laughs> Pride is elevating self. Sorry, Malachi, I know he's in the other room, but he's probably not going to be that good. Pride can look like the Holy Spirit moving in a service and the worship leader or the pastor thinking they had anything to do with it. And coming out arrogant, like, look what I can do. Look how I can move the people's hearts. It wasn't us. If anybody is moved, if anybody is touched in a real genuine way, it's because the Holy Spirit came into the room. It's because Jesus walked into the room. But I don't know how many ministers I've seen throughout the years and worship leaders and, and, and people working in the ministry who walk around with a puffed chest because they think they're somebody because they know how to move a room but it means nothing if it's not the Holy Spirit. So arrogance can actually look like success and look like a good thing, but 
deep down on the inside, there's this root of pride. Pride is when you won't lift your hands in worship because you're worried about what the person next to you might think of you. And I'll go the opposite route. Pride is lifting your hands in worship because you want those around you to think you're super spiritual. You know, your expression in worship has very little to do with what you're actually doing. It's all about motivation. It's all about the posture of your heart. And so there's some that stand there with their hands in their pocket. And there's some that are super expressive. And the only person who knows the motivation is the person worshiping and the father. And pride can look like both. Pride can look like standing stiff as a board because you don't want people to think something about you that you don't want them to think. But pride can also be being exuberant and dancing and worshiping, not because you're wanting to honor God, but because you want other people to think, look at you and go, man, they, they just really know how to worship. Or man, they, they really know how to just give it all to God. Pride can go both ways. It can look all kinds of different things, like all kinds of different things. Pride won't accept any kind of correction. Pride won't accept any sort of advice. It's pride that on the other hand, so there's people that don't accept advice or correction because they think they know everything, right? They can do no wrong, but it's also pride. It's also pride. When you don't think you can do anything right. And walking in a self-loathing state. So pride can look like many, many different things. Pride is elevating self, once again. Anytime we elevate self above the goodness of God. So Jesus shows us what this looks like in uh, Luke chapter 14. And so we're going to look at that here this morning. In Luke chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 7. Before I get into the actual verses here, let me give you some context of what's going on in this chapter. So Jesus is invited to a feast that a religious leader in the community is hosting. And there are many others that are also invited to this feast at this religious leader's house. And so Jesus gets invited to this feast. And when he walks in, he sees a man who has dropsy. Now, if you're like me and have no idea what dropsy is, dropsy is where you have your limbs are swollen because it's, you're holding water, okay? So, so the, this person's limbs were all swollen um, because they were, they were holding water within their body. And so Jesus sees this person, and of course, everybody looks at the man with dropsy, then looks at Jesus, and is like, what's he going to do, right? So all eyes go to Jesus, and it's the Sabbath. And of course, you know that as you read through Scripture, that the religious leaders don't believe that you are allowed to work on the Sabbath, which for them included healing, so they were looking at Jesus to see what is he going to do with this man with the dropsy. And of course, Jesus does what he always does, right? He heals the man with dropsy. 
And then I could preach on that, that part just alone. But so he heals this man with dropsy and, and then the dinner kind of continues on. So Jesus is in the room full of all of these people. They go into the dining area. Jesus has just healed this man. There's all kinds of people here. The excitement's already up. And they get into the room, the dining room, and they're all prepared to be sitting down. And that's where we're going to start reading here this morning. And verse 7. It says, so he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how many of them chose the best seat, the best place to sit. I want to stop there for just a moment. You're thinking, oh man, he, he's one verse in. He's already stopping. Yes, I am. Verse 7. Other translations say it like this. It says that the head of the table was the, I'm sorry, other places say that, the, uh, that they were all vying for the place, the, the head of the table, which means they were all fighting for that position, right? So the reason why they were doing that is because the head of the table in their culture, in their tradition, and it's kind of like this in our tradition, but just not nearly as much so, but in their culture and in their tradition, the head of the table was the place of highest honor. Like the who's who sits at the place, the highest part of the table. The person there who has the most authority, who has the most recognition and honor in the community sits at the highest point of the table. This is something you, you're going to want to remember and note for later. But this place of highest honor is usually to the right of the host. This person sits to the right of the person who is hosting the dinner. So it's the place of highest honor. And it says that Jesus walks into the room and he noticed that they're all fighting for this seat, right? It's this giant game of musical chairs. They're all fighting for the seat at the head of the table. And here's what pride will do. Pride will make you fight for honor. Pride will make you vie for position and, and do what you have to do to get ahead of the other person, to sit in the place of honor. But here's the fun thing. The kingdom doesn't work like that. In the kingdom, you don't have to look for glory. In fact, John verse 17 says that the glory you have given me, and this is Jesus talking, the glory you have given me, I give to them. That pride makes you fight for glory and honor. All the while, Jesus is saying, I give you my glory. You don't have to fight for a place of honor and position in the kingdom. But I give you glory. And then it says in James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So pride makes you fight for honor and glory. But humility in the kingdom the Father will actually promote you. You don't have to fight for anything. It is freely given to you. Honor and glory is given to those who are humble, amen? It goes on here in verse eight. Jesus begins telling the parable. He says, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place least one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin, or I'm sorry, then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place 
so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. At first glance, first glance when you read this parable, it kind of just looks like Jesus is, is just giving some good advice. Like, hey, listen, here's how not to look like a moron in front of all of your friends, right? Like just a little friendly advice. Don't sit at the head table. Sit at the low table. So that way when they come to you, they don't have to pull you down, but you can actually be brought up, right? Good advice. And that's how I've read it for years. I'm like, huh, you know, Jesus, that's good advice. I'll check. I got it. But as with most scripture, actually, I should say, as with all of scripture, if you're willing to dig, there's more treasure underneath. And it's the same with this parable, that if you're willing to dig and to really look at this parable, he's doing so much more than giving good advice on how to present yourself at a party. He's giving us much more than that. When you look at this parable in the light of the whole story of God, okay, so the big picture in light of the whole story of God, there is one who in pride came in and demanded the highest seat at the table. In the grand scheme of the story of God, there is one who has come in and done this exact thing, who came in and demanded the highest seat at the table. Let me read you the scripture out of Isaiah chapter 14. In verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you, and this is what it says, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. See, in the big picture of God, there is one who tried to take the high seat of honor, and his name was Lucifer. That in pride, he said to himself that I don't want, that listen, he said that the presence of God is not enough. Being in his presence is not enough. I want more. I don't want to just worship at the throne. I want to sit on the throne. He said, I don't want to just worship God. I want to be like God. I want to have his authority. I want to sit in the place of honor and glory and authority. And it says that he wanted in his heart, he lifted himself up in pride and wanted to sit at the place of honor and glory. And we know the story. He was cast out of heaven. And then something kind of funny happened. God created man. And I've always found this interesting in scripture that God created man in his likeness and gave him authority and dominion. What were the two things that Lucifer wanted? He wanted to be like God and have authority and dominion. And then God makes man. And what does he do? 
he makes him like God and gives him authority and dominion. You want to know why the devil hates you? Because you have everything he ever wanted. That you look like God. You were made in his image. You were made in his likeness. You share in the relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. He is in you. You are in him. That you have the authority of the Father. But in pride, Lucifer wanted to steal it. And because he wanted to steal it, he was cast out of heaven. He was cast low, but then man comes along and is given everything he ever wanted. And what does Lucifer do? He's still fighting for that place of authority. He couldn't steal it from God. So what does he do? He steals it from man. He's still in pride fighting for that place of authority. How many of you know that, that yes, when, when man fell and sinned, that he disobeyed God. But you know what else he did? He obeyed the devil. He didn't just disobey God. He obeyed the word of the enemy, therefore giving authority to the enemy. So the devil was still fighting for that place of authority. And you know what? He gained some of that authority in the fall of creation. But how many of you know? <laughs> how many of you know that there was one who came later on down the road? And this one came not in pride, but came in humility. In fact, Isaiah 53, that I'm not even going to read it. Isaiah 53 says he came and he was low, right? That man did not even esteem him. That there was no form or comeliness about him. That in fact, man rejects this man who came from heaven with humility. And this man didn't come with parades and accolades. This man came and was born to a virgin who had no honor, who had no big name, who had no standing in the community. And that this man didn't come to sit in castles, but instead he was raised in the house of a carpenter and himself became a carpenter. A profession that while needed had no notoriety and had no nobility. This man, Jesus, who was there at the beginning of creation with the Father. And for 30 years on the earth, lived in obscurity. The only ones who knew his name were his family and those around him. He hid in the carpenter's house for 30 years on the planet. And while Satan was vying for position and authority to sit at the head of the table. Jesus comes and sits in the lowest spot. Building furniture and making friends with the outcasts, with the sinners, with those who have nothing that they can give back to him. Jesus sits at the low end of the table. 
And we all know what happens. Jesus doesn't come looking for accolades. He doesn't come looking for praise. Instead, he comes looking for a cross. And he gets the cross. He takes the place of humility. The low place at the banquet. And I want to note this as well. The religious leaders, you've heard me say this before, it still blows my mind that these men who have studied the scriptures their entire lives, these men who have much of the scripture memorized, miss the Son of God right in front of them. They miss the king right in front of them. He's right there. He's performing miracles that nobody has ever seen before. And somehow they miss him. How do they miss him? Pride. There's many times in scripture where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because it says that they walk around in their long gowns. And they walk around the marketplaces trying to make a name for themselves and trying to become famous and try to become needed, right? It says that they spend, out, they, 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 they spend their days in the marketplace making long prayers. You know why they had to make long prayers? Because their prayers had no power. So in order for them to look important, they had to make them long and drawn out. And, and use big words that nobody knew to make themselves look important because they had no power and no authority. Have you ever noticed how short Jesus' prayers are? But they had to make theirs long to look impressive. It even tells us, it's, I think three different times in scripture, that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they always were fighting for that high seat in the synagogue. They're always looking for that place of honor. And because they were too busy elevating self, they missed Jesus. Because they were too busy fighting for their own position, their own authority, their own glory, and their own honor, they were blind to the Son of God in front of them because of their arrogance. Once again, Jesus didn't come looking for accolades. He didn't come looking for attention. He came with humility, looking for a cross. Here's another little rabbit trail for you this morning. We, we say that God made us to worship him. That God created man so somebody would worship him. Like God needs our worship. He didn't look for accolades and he didn't make us so that we would give him accolades. He made us to be with him. And worship is the natural response that we have when we see him. He didn't come for accolades. He didn't make you to get accolades. He made you to be with him. So Jesus comes in humility. Let me read a few scriptures here to you. That tells you what happens because he came with humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What is that saying? That's saying that, that he knew that he was equal to God. He knew exactly who he was. 
he knew that he had the same authority that the father has. He knew he carried all of that. But instead of coming and, and exercising that, it says, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, but at, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Hebrews one tells us that God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he made him, or when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down, where at? At the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So what happened here? Jesus comes in humility. He comes in, he sits at the low end of the table. He humbles himself. He hides himself in obscurity for 30 years, never looks for accolades, never looks for attention. Instead, he looks for a cross. Instead, what does the Bible tell us happens? It says that as Jesus comes in humility, it says that the father then comes and picks him up from that place of humbleness and sets him by his right hand side in the place of honor and authority that Jesus didn't come and exalt himself, even though he had every right to. He instead comes in humility and allows the father to promote him. He comes in humility and allows God to say, come up here, my beloved son, and sit at my right hand in the place of honor and authority. How many of you remember at the very beginning of the parable, what happens? They're all fighting for the place of honor and glory, which is at the right hand of the host. And now Jesus has come in humility and God has promoted him. The host has promoted him to the place of honor at his right hand. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That at the cross, there was a great reversal. And when Satan came to exalt himself, what happens? He got cast low. And Jesus got put in the place of authority. How do we defeat pride in our hearts. We come to a humble place. We set ourselves at the low end of the table. We become the servant of all. We take our self off of the throne of the center of our lives, the center of our attention. And we elevate the goodness of the Father above ourself. We elevate others above ourself. 
And when we come into a place of humility, then we will be exalted. Then we'll be honored. One of my favorite scriptures, Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Go into your room and hide in obscurity. You know why he's telling them this? He's telling them this because he's, he's showing them that beforehand, the previous verses, he's saying that the Pharisees like to stand up in front of everybody and pray these long prayers where everybody's falling asleep and wishing the pastor would just wrap it up so we can go home to make themselves feel important. But he says, no, no, when you pray, go hide. Don't even let anybody know you're doing. In fact, it even says, don't let your right hand know what your, your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Hide in obscurity. And then what does it say? Pray in secret because that's where your father is. And then it says, your father who sees in secret will then reward you openly. When you take that humble posture, when you come to the Father in humility, when you present yourself and your life in humility, taking yourself off the throne and putting the Lord and others there in that place of honor, then you will be exalted. Then the Lord will honor you and you will find yourself in that place of authority and honor. Amen. Once again, Luke 14, 11, for he who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray as David prayed that you would search our hearts. God, and if there is anything wicked inside of us, Father, we pray that you would reveal it and then purge it from our hearts. Father, we want our hearts to be clear, clean. We want our hearts to be pure, Jesus. So Father, I pray right now that if any of us in this room have been operating in pride, whether that pride looks like arrogance and it looks like boastfulness or whether that pride looks like not being able to accept forgiveness and wallowing in our failures and in our shortcomings. God, whatever pride looks like in our hearts, God, I pray that you would reveal it to us. God, show us the root of our issues. God, and if there is pride on the inside of us, God, I pray that you would come and humble us. Show us how to walk in humility like you walked in humility, Jesus. I heard this statement this week as well, that, that Jesus is more humble than all of us. <laughs> that Jesus is more humble than all of us. God, I pray that you would help us to walk in the same humility that Jesus walked in. The one that deserved all the honor and all the glory, the one who had the right to stand up and demand glory came in and said, I'm going to be low. I'm going to be the servant of all. I'm going to wash the feet of my disciples. 
Father, help us to walk in that kind of humility so that our hearts can be free from pride. God, I pray that you would, you would set us free from the fear of man. And Father, you would give us the gift of the fear of the Lord. That God, we wouldn't look for the accolades of our neighbors. We wouldn't look for the accolades of our peers and those around us. But God, we would be satisfied with hearing from the Father, well done. Well done. God, that our satisfaction, our desire would be for your approval. And that would be enough for us. Father, we honor you today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the searcher of the hearts. And God, that you don't leave us. You don't leave us broken. And you don't leave us with, uh, in your goodness, you don't let those things that are corrupting our hearts remain. But God, in your goodness, you can expose that. So God, we thank you for that this morning. We honor you today. Give you glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.